Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other sit at your left in glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Just stop for a second there. Do you know what Jesus is referring to here when he refers to the cup and to the baptism? What's he talking about? The cross, yeah? He's referring to the cross. And if you, if you read, if you turn over just a few verses to chapter 15 and verse 25, and again, I think Mark wants us to, to see this. In verse 27, it says, They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and the other on his left. So when Jesus says, You have no idea what you're asking from me, they really didn't have a single idea. Because to sit on his right and his left was to identify with Christ on the cross on his right and his left. But they go on to say, says, we can, we can do this. They answered. And Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. And when the ten heard about this, they were indignant with James and John. And Jesus called them together and said, you know that you know those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be the servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, just note, the son of Timaeus, he gives, he's, he's the son, everyone is the son of someone, yeah? Obvious. So we see in verse 35, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, we see, Tim, we see um, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, it goes on was sitting by the roadside begging when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth and he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up. On your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus said. Have you heard that question before? Have you? Of course you have. 
It's in a few verses back. Jesus asks the disciples exactly the same question with exactly the same words. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Father, we pray as we we come into your word, you speak to us. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that will be responsive. But more than anything else, blow us away with your mercy and your grace that is so abundantly given to each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now guys, the Passover is approaching. In fact, the pilgrimage has begun. They're all on their way to Jerusalem and they're now in Jericho. The the roads are probably crowded. They're full of people all heading to Jerusalem and Jesus and the disciples are actually going along with them in exactly the same way except Jesus has got a very different reason for heading towards Jerusalem. We heard this last week as Steve spoke about it, and he explained that, that, this is, that last week it was the third and the, the final time that Jesus predicts his suffering and his death. And in verse 45, he declares that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus is leading the way as our Savior. He's demonstrating for us, and he is the one who will go to the cross. He is the one who will hang there, who will die as God's appointed sacrifice for your sin. That's where he's going. And then we asked the question last week, if you remember, who will follow him on this path of suffering? Who's going to walk the road that Jesus walks, the one that he is demonstrating? Who is going to walk this path of suffering? Now, the disciples, well, they seem to be only interested in themselves. All they're concerned about is arguing about which one is going to be the greatest, who's going to get the best seats in the house in God's future kingdom. That's what's concerning them. And then we get to this story, the story of blind Bartimaeus, and I hope that you see the ironic contrast between the attitude of the disciples and the response of a blind, helpless beggar. Such a difference. The disciples, they, they don't really seem that interested in, 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 in wanting to walk the road that Jesus has described to them. They don't want Jesus to suffer in such a way. They don't want him to go in that direction. And yet, at the very end of the story, at the last verse in the chapter of, 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 of chapter 10, the end of Bartimaeus' story, we read Mark, or sorry, Mark gives this particular comment, this phrase. He says, he received his sight 
and followed Jesus along the road. He followed Jesus along the road. The truth is that following Jesus is going to require some suffering and sacrifice. It's not pleasant theology these days. Trouble is, it's in the scriptures. And if you are facing difficulties and strains and challenges at this moment because of your faith in Jesus, don't be surprised. In fact, it's exactly what you should expect. It's perfectly normal. It's just what Jesus said it would be like. He calls us to take our cross and follow him. But as you walk with Jesus, as you walk this way, you honor him, even in the struggles that you face. That was last week. Still relevant this week. <laughs> but let's get into the story. Bartimaeus, or as his friends called him, Bart. Actually, he made that bit up, to be fair. But they, they, they may have done. Um, Bart, Bartimaeus was a beggar. He lived rough, most likely. He, he really had very nothing, he had basically nothing to his name to make matters worse. He was blind. However, he had a voice. And he used it remarkably well. And he calls out to Jesus and he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And there's significance in the title that he gives to Jesus. For the son of David was the promised Messiah, the son of God. And he's given, he given Jesus a title, a title that is almost certainly going to annoy and frustrate any of the Jewish listeners who are hearing him cry out across the crowds. Not surprisingly, many of them want him to be quiet. But as Bartimaeus put two and two together, has he realized that this is no ordinary man, that this person standing in front of him is no ordinary teacher or healer? Does his words show us that he believes that Jesus is truly the promised king from David's family line? Does he believe that this man is truly God's son? Now, we don't quite know exactly what Bartimaeus thought or even where he heard this from or even how he got to this conclusion but it certainly would appear that he seems to understand something more than the disciples had understood in the previous action. It is interesting to note that as unlike in chapter 8 and verse 30 where Jesus warns the people not to tell anyone about who he is, this particular time Jesus does not stop him from speaking at all. In fact, he lets Bartimaeus tell everyone who he is doesn't keep it quiet. 
In fact, it's the crowds who want him to shut up. They're, they're trying to shush him. Don't be quiet, Bartimaeus. Shh. They don't, they don't want people to hear him shouting out. Maybe simply because he was being a nuisance. Maybe he's just being too loud. Whatever the reason, they have failed to understand that Jesus' mercy is for everyone. Right down to the very lowest beggar in the street. Jesus' mercy is for everyone. Guess what? That includes you. And Bartimaeus simply asks... And he is not going to be put off by anyone who tells him that Jesus Christ is not interested in him. And perhaps you've come in here this afternoon and you, you feel maybe a little bit more like, like Bartimaeus than you would care to acknowledge. Perhaps at times even convinced yourself that God wouldn't really be interested in me. After all, what have I got to offer? Or perhaps you just don't feel worthy or, or maybe within yourself you feel weak and, and pathetic. And listen, even if those things may be true, God loves you. Guys, he loves you. And Jesus has mercy towards even the most undeserving of people. And as the story unfolds, Jesus asked Bartimaeus the most obvious question in the world, bearing in mind the same question that he's asked the disciples, Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? The question goes straight to the heart of the matter. Why, Bartimaeus, why are you coming to Jesus? Are you after money? Are you, are you looking for food? I mean, wh- wh- why are you here? What, what are you up to here? question is, how much or how little did Bartimaeus really believe that Jesus could do for him? But he's only got one thing on his mind. He wants to see. He wants to be able to see. And he believes that Jesus will provide that for him. And he does. And we see Jesus heals him. Listen, there are no words. There's no touch. It's just instant vision. He sees. Just like that. He sees. And Jesus heals him. But also following this instant vision is an immediate desire to follow Jesus. I wonder how often in your prayers, perhaps particularly in those very challenging, difficult times when you begin to pray to God, and actually words just sometimes fail you. Have you been there? And you, you just, your heart maybe is breaking inside you and you want, you've, you've got so much you want to say to God, but actually you just don't know how to put it into words. You, know how, you don't know quite how to just, just get, it, get it out there. And in fact, Paul talks a little bit about this in Romans chapter 8 um, and verse 25. And he says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know how we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless Groans. 
Guys, it is amazing to know that God, the Holy Spirit, is for you, that he is praying for you. In fact, in another part of Scripture, it says that Jesus himself intercedes for us before the very throne of God. He's praying for you. And even in those moments when, when you just cannot get the words together, he's for you. He's praying for you. But listen to me, the majority of the time, God wants to hear your prayers. He wants to hear your words. He wants to hear your requests. And he says the same question to you that he said to the disciples, that he said to Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want? Bring your requests to me. And listen, as we begin to vocalize those, as we begin to articulate our thoughts to God, it challenges yourself to genuine faith. And you begin to trust in God's goodness to supply every need. You know that God will not give you everything you want but he will give you everything that you need. We see an example of that just a few verses back when James and John, they they bring their crazy request to be these famous people in God's kingdom and and Jesus says, "Uh -uh. it's not even mine to give, but it's, it's, it's not happening. No. But true prayer involves throwing ourselves on the mercy of a wise and powerful king and being willing to receive what he gives to you and knowing that he knows exactly what is best for you. And some of you maybe have come in with, with problems, maybe family, maybe financial, maybe other needs that are deep within. And you need to know that God will give you exactly what you need. It may not be answered in the way that you expect it to or even the way that you want it to, but he will do what is best for you. And we trust him. We trust him as our Lord, as our Savior. This miracle is the penultimate miracle in the Gospel of Mark. But it's not just simply another miracle. This is a visual representation. This is a presentation of God's kingdom. This is the gospel just displayed. It it has been acted out for us right before our eyes. It's been acted out for the disciples right before their eyes. And perhaps this miracle illustrates the promise that God gave through the prophet Joel, perhaps better than any other miracle does. And Joel says that when God establishes his kingdom, in Joel 2 verse 32, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And here we see Bartimaeus encountering Jesus' power not because of his own ability, not because he can bring anything to Jesus, but in the context of his weakness. And the crowds knew that this blind man 
could help Jesus in no way whatsoever, and they are absolutely right. But what they don't understand is that this does not disqualify anyone from calling out to Jesus. It doesn't disqualify anyone from calling on the name of the Lord. In actual fact, the very opposite is actually true. And listen, as we look at these stories, as we look at this situation, the ironic thing is that the people who really have got the biggest sight problem, it's not the blind man, it's the disciples, it's the crowds. And this man, Bartimaeus, comes to Jesus and he brings nothing but his need. Even his cloak, probably his only, his only worldly possession of any value, he throws behind him as he comes to Jesus. Listen, that is how we come to Jesus Christ. Just as you are. You bring nothing. Just your need, knowing that he is able and will Meet it fully. There's one other thought that emerges from this story. And it's simply that Jesus had time for Bartimaeus. Don't forget the context. Jesus, he's on the way to Jerusalem. The disciples, they're actually filled with fear. They're nervous. Their hearts are, are breaking. They, they don't want Jesus to go to the cross. They don't like what they've just heard. They, 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 for, for, for Jesus, they think it's, it's a dangerous place to go. They're right. But they don't want him to go there. And then, the truth of the matter is, the disciples are probably more concerned about themselves than they are about anything else. And they're squabbling and fighting among each other. Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to look the best? And then in the context of this, in the middle of all this, we see Jesus' tender care for a blind beggar that is profoundly moving. And even though his heart must be breaking in this moment... And the shadow of the cross must be weighing so heavy on his mind. In fact, only in a couple of chapters later, we will see him in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is down on his knees. He is praying to his father and he is sweating drops of blood. This is a man under serious amount of stress. And he stops. And he demonstrates humble service. Here is love, compassion. And Jesus' greatness never stood out more clearly than when he calls this helpless man from darkness and into light. What a picture. What a picture of the gospel, of the wonder of God. Guys, we come as we are, helpless people, and we come to Jesus Christ for a healing. And as this man comes, he gets physically healed, his, his sight is restored, he's literally, he sees light for the first time, but something deeper has happened within him. As God brings a most deeper spiritual healing 
because he chooses to walk and to follow Jesus. This is what we are called to. This is the way we are called to walk. And Jesus has not changed. And he still stops for those who call on his name. And he will stop for you. He will stop for you. See, the greatest problem in this world is not physical blindness. It's spiritual blindness. And I know perhaps as well as anybody knows how devastating it is for people to lose their sight. I do, during, the, during the week, I spend my time looking into people's eyes. I'm a optician, by the way, for those who don't know. I'm not just a freak. <laughs> Maybe a freak as well, but no. I spend my time looking into people's eyes and providing glasses. I, I just want to make people see better. I look out for health problems, for conditions that potentially could cause problems with their eyes. And, and we, we, prevention is much better than cure. But listen, there are times when people come along and they have got something seriously wrong with their eyes. Normally some sort of degenerative eye disease and there's absolutely nothing that I can do for them. And no matter how nicely you say that, it's devastating to lose your sight. It's devastating to, to be told that, I'm sorry, I, I can't help you anymore. Glasses aren't going to work anymore. But listen, for the problem of spiritual blindness, there is a cure. And his name is Jesus. Call on him by faith. And you need to throw away everything that will hinder you, everything that will stop you coming to him. It may be sins, it may be something that at face value looks pretty good, but anything that stops you coming from Jesus, coming to Jesus, you need to get rid of. The Bible calls this repentance. It's turning away from sin, it's turning away from disobedience and calling out to him for mercy. There's a great story that is told of a, of a woman who cried to Napoleon on behalf of her son. And her son had, basically she wanted her son to be pardoned. And the emperor replied to her that the young man had committed a series of offenses. And one particular offense he committed twice. And that he, that justice demanded death. And the mum said... I'm not asking for justice. I'm asking for mercy. Napoleon says, he doesn't deserve mercy. And the woman says, sir, if it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And all I ask for is mercy. The story finishes with Napoleon setting her son free, or at least sparing his life, at least. Listen, as you come to God, you do not deserve to come anywhere near him because of the sin of your life, 
because of the many things that each one of us have done wrong. We cannot dare come before a holy God. In fact, justice demands death. So we call out for mercy. And as you call out to God for mercy, his grace and his mercy will flow in abundance. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. That is why he is so determined to make the way to the cross. That is why nothing is going to stop him from getting there. Because through his death was the only reason that we have life. That we call out to him and receive the mercy that only he can give. This is the gospel. This is the wonderful truth of God's word. Listen, there, are no, there is no other way to come to God other than through Jesus Christ. But as you come to him, he will save you. And you can be healed of spiritual blindness and your eyes can be opened to see Jesus and you will never be the same again but Jesus calls you to follow him we're back to where we started he calls you to follow him no turning back to walk the road a road that is going to be tough sometimes that's going to be full of challenges sometimes but he has promised that he will be with you always. He will never leave you. He will never leave you. Let's stand together and pray.